Well, there are maniacs and there are demoniacs. Which would you rather encounter? Neither, right? <laughs> we'll get back to that in a minute. Although Jill and I visit, visited Israel in the winter, uh, I could still say that old cliche, you think it's hot here? You know, try the Sea of Galilee in the summer. Yeah, it's hot there too. You go any place that dips below sea level in the summer and you're going to experience some heat. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. The valley it sits along, it, it sits in along with the Dead Sea to the south is a, is a huge fracture in the Earth's crust. I mean, millions of years ago or sometime, this whole chasm opened up. There's a huge canyon and it got filled in with stuff. And that's your, that's your holy land. That's, the, that's where it all happened. When we were there, our tour guide and, uh, said something I'll never forget. That when Jesus began his ministry, he walked from his home in Nazareth up in the hill country down to Galilee. He descended into a land of darkness to bring light to many people. Now, you wouldn't think the Sea of Galilee is that, to be that way. It's beautiful there. I mean, the lake, the shoreline, mountains on either side, dates, figs, and mango trees. It's It's beautiful. But you wonder if that low elevation had something to do with the evil which had collected there. You know, like a, you know how, like how liquid or cold air rushes down to the lowest, the lowest place? Of course, the Jordan River is down there. And that's where Jesus went first when he began to gather his disciples and perform miracles. But still, it's somehow fitting that this forerunner or that Jesus' forerunner, John, and his baptism in the Jordan takes place in this dark, low place seemingly filled with demoniacs. I mean, there's the demoniac in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus heals many with unclean spirits shortly after he heals Peter's mother-in-law at his house. And Peter's house is right on the shore of the lake. And there are many more that happened in this area. There's Mary, the exercised one, from Magdala. Magdala was also a little community on the shore of Galilee. Mary had seven unclean spirits in her. It's weird. It's like the Sea of Galilee was a huge watering hole for demons. Okay, Jesus does heal one demoniac on the coast. And he probably healed a few in Jerusalem. But our text today from Mark is about the demoniac at Gergesa. Another small community on the east bank of the Sea of Galilee. I really wanted to go there and see this place. But that wasn't part of the boat excursion we were on. And there's not much left there anyways. Just, to, just the ruins of a monastery. No doubt put there by Christians much later to mark the place where this miracle happened. Gergesa was Gentile land. There were no Jews living there. This scene in Mark is Jesus' first move into Gentile country and his first dealing with non-Jews. No sooner Jesus gets one foot out of the boat, 
he's immediately confronted by a demoniac. And this encounter, this encounter isn't just about an exorcism. It's about the spiritual realm and people being under the right spiritual lordship and people being under the wrong spiritual lordship. Case in point. Someone who visited our church several years ago was, a, was apparently under the wrong spiritual lordship as evidenced by this welcome to our worship form in your pew pads there. Now you can't see what's written here but the visiting demoniac wrote down the names of a legion of unclean spirits that were here and was sure to let us know their address is hell and that they are not members of the church except for this one here, Mephistopheles. I wonder who that could be. And then notice the boxes are checked here for desire a call. Well, needless to say, I didn't take them up on that. Uh, and besides, since hell was the only contact information given, I wasn't about to go there. You know, even though a few people in my life have told me to go there. But this raises a simple question. Who are the people in our lives under the sphere or, or influence of? Christians, believers in Jesus, are under the sphere and influence of the Almighty One, right? The Lord God. If you're not under His influence by faith, you're under the other's influence or sphere. The spiritually unclean who are not responsive to God or the preaching and baptizing activity of His people. The Lord of that group is none other than Satan, the fallen angel and father of lies and deceptions. There's no in-between or vacuum between these two spheres. This encounter with Jesus and the demoniac in Mark tells us two things about this. First, as much as we put our trust in the physical world which we can see, the spiritual world is really key to understanding our relationship with God. When Jesus arrives on the scene to begin his ministry of saving the world from sin, the initial problem confronted with both Jews and Gentiles is that they are under the wrong spiritual lordship. Second, this text tells us that both Jews and Gentiles have the same difficulty standing before God in the same condition. The spiritual sphere of being under sin's grasp arrays itself against God and enslaves a person and keeps him from living life as God's child. This was yours and mine condition before our baptism. We were in community with the dead and not with our brothers and sisters among the living until we were brought to the waters of baptism. And this is why the Gentiles there in Gergesa were unable to subdue the demoniac themselves. They had no physical or spiritual power over this man or the unclean spirits that were in him. Jesus, however, is strong enough to bind the strong man, Satan, who's behind all this. In fact, he unbinds the man who's been enslaved to that very strong man Jesus refers to earlier. The devil. 
Jesus is the one stronger than the strong man. And here's an entertaining part of this scene. In fact, James Veltz, my Greek professor, believes Mark puts this in here to give the hearers a little lighthearted moment in the midst of this otherwise frightening encounter. The demoniac yells to Jesus, I adjure you by God, do not torture me. The unclean spirit is demanding something from the wrong Lord. Jesus is not the unclean spirit's Lord. Satan is. So it's laughable that this demon thinks he can pull this off. On top of that, he's asking Jesus not to do the very thing he's been doing to the man he's inside. So it's like this unclean... What a a hypocrite this unclean spirit is. And my teacher makes the case that this is something early audiences of this gospel would have chuckled at upon hearing it, upon hearing it. But, you know, today we just kind of listen and, okay, what does it mean? You know, we're not always picking up on the irony in these stories or the literary nuances of these gospel writers. But you, you have that now. At the end of the day, though, it's all meant to instruct you and me and generations to come who will listen and believe that Jesus has come to initiate his rule and reign over the dark powers of the devil and his legion of unclean spirits who roam the earth looking for prey to inhabit. People who are under the sphere and influence of the wrong Lord. And it's a wake-up call to all people that the world isn't always what it seems. It's not always nice and safe. There are unseen things going on out there that jeopardize one's eternal life. And to be under the sphere of the right Lord is the way you want to go. You want to be on Jesus' side. Now, we've got to look at these pigs before it gets too hot and I run out of time. Because there's more here with the pigs than just another exorcism. In Israel, at the time this takes place, you're not going to find pigs in Jerusalem or any other Jewish village or town. You know, these are unclean animals, remember? And you're going to find these things in Gentile communities because the Gentiles don't consider swine unclean. You know, they're clueless as to what clean actually means when you're under the sphere and influence of the right Lord, God. So sure, the presence of pigs in Gergesene confirms the Gentile nature of this area that, that Jesus chooses to go straight into. And there's every reason, reason to believe that Jesus and this demoniac are having an exchange of words that go on for a little bit. For he was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Not he said once, come out. And it's apparent these unclean spirits want to live on in whatever physical body they can inhabit. You know, they don't want to die. Perhaps they know Jesus isn't going to let them inhabit another human body. So these animals over here are the next best option. Whatever the case, the fact that these pigs begin to move in a direction they normally wouldn't towards the sea, right into it, proves 
that an exorcism actually took place. It's proof. Jesus outwits these unclean spirits who wish to remain there, even if it means roaming around in these pigs. But there's a catch, see? Jesus also knows that these pigs, when they become inhabited by these unclean spirits, are going to freak out and become upset. You ever dealt with an upset pig? I haven't, but I would imagine it's not something you want to be around. The unclean spirit's plan to live on in these pigs backfires on them. Their hosts are going to die, and they're going with them, drowned in the lake. There's all kinds of spiritual connections you can make with these pigs, like Jesus destroys the notion of uncleanliness by drowning these unclean animals deemed unclean by God the Father, or the fact that they were drowned in the sea shows our uncleanliness of sin being drowned in baptism and all kinds of things you can make connections with. But Mark is making the plain and simple point. The fact that these animals are pigs and not sheep or cattle emphasizes the Gentile connection here. That's it. So much more here we could pour over over this often overlooked text on Sunday morning. It's not in the lectionary. Amazingly, I don't know why. Just quickly though, notice Jesus gives permission for the healed man to go and proclaim to everyone what God has done. He doesn't always do this in Mark. And when it happens, it's unexpected and confusing. Why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know about who he's healed and things he's done? But here in this text, it is expected and it happens. Because in Gentile land, the opposition, the opposition to Jesus isn't as strong as it is among the Jewish communities. See, Gentiles don't have preconceived notions of who the Messiah is supposed to be and look like and what he's going to do and all this stuff. And perhaps that's another lesson we can glean from this text. We live in Gentile land, right? The ground is more fertile here than in Israel, I can tell you that. It can be hard soil here, though, don't get me wrong. But we, like the man who have been cleansed, proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for us. And we'll consider our Decapolis the cities along the I-5 corridor in the Willamette Valley, because that's about the same area as the one in the Bible. And yeah, it's hot as Hades in our usually cool corner of the state. So remember the cool waters of your baptism that run over you every minute of every day. Jesus forgiving you your sin and giving you eternal life and salvation By the power of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, he has rescued us from the power of that wrong Lord, Satan. May we continue learning joyfully to tell others what good things Jesus Christ has done, does, and will do for us. Amen.